remind us that, that this is not a hodgepodge collection of things we do, um, but a constant hearing from the word of the Lord, and then a consistent responding to that word that we have heard. And so as we come, it, perhaps too, as you get up Sunday morning, you think to yourself, what am I going to do this morning? I'm going to worship. And so when we, when we have that mindset, we, we then come with the mindset of applying ourselves, of diligently uh, devoting ourselves to the worship of our, of our Lord. So, so and then when we see that each part you know, I thought about it when we finished singing. It could be easy at sometimes for me to say, okay, I'm done singing, I'm going to sit down and relax, in a sense. I hope I don't consciously think that, but sometimes I think that goes on a little bit. But in fact, no, we finished singing, now I'm going to sit down and wait for the next part of this dialogue and engage in that, and then be prepared to respond. Um, so there's something about the simple reading of Scripture, especially on Sunday morning. It takes on something of a, almost a different character when with people are gathered together. And then when we know that we will respond immediately to that word in prayer. And now, here we are for the preaching. And so how do you approach this time? Um, what are the ways that you think about this time? Because we all have an approach. If it's a, if it's a lazy approach and we're not thinking, well, that's an approach, Right? Um, but what's, what are the ways that we say, I'm going to come now to this time in, in this way? Um, after we hear from the word, we will respond in prayer um, by hearing then in the Lord's Supper and responding with thanksgiving and then hearing the Lord's benediction at the end and responding with amen. And so I just want to encourage us to continue Again, it's not a lot. It's not so much different from what we've done. It's more in our own mentality, in our own approach. And I, I know, I know, and I'm confident that will be a blessing to all of us, and enrich these times uh, as we do that. So let's come now to the word of the Lord to us, so that we might respond in a more wholehearted worship at the end. Uh, the last couple of Sundays we've, we've been in Daniel, and we've been watching with Daniel as a vision is unfolding before his eyes, and we've seen a couple of things. We've seen, if you remember, the four winds of heaven stirring up the great sea, and we've seen out of this sea four beasts coming up, and we've learned that this is a picture, this sea with the four beasts is a vivid picture, given the biblical context, of, of the whole course of human history and the spiritual things that are going on behind the course of human history. So, in the midst of all the, the chaos that surrounds us, there is an enemy that's at work. And we see that pictured in the sea and the beasts. And so just like the, the, if you go to the ocean, you, you know, it, as it rages, you might even begin to think, wow, it's going to swallow up the dry land. Uh, perhaps in a hurricane, you see it, it does that a little bit. But, but in this picture, we see the cosmic sea, 
threatening to swallow up all the dry land, devouring God's creation. Specifically, God's new creation. And that's who we are. We are God's new creation. And there is a cosmic sea. This cosmic sea is not just invented. It's not just a figment of our imagination. The cosmic sea is real. The four beasts are real. We are the new creation. The, the dry land, as it were. The, the God's creatures that live on the dry land. And the sea threatens to swallow up all of God's new creation. And so when we see this vision and we take it seriously, it should cause us to tremble. At first we see signs that the beasts are not sovereign. They're not in complete control. They're on God's leash. But then as the vision goes along, it gets worse and worse And it appears that there's no restraining activity of God at all. And sometimes it's difficult for us to see that God is restraining. Sometimes we ask, why isn't God doing more, right? From our human perspective. Living in this world, it can seem the beast is sovereign. It can seem like the sea is going to have its way. But Daniel's vision doesn't end with the fourth beast. And we remember that with the fourth beast, there's also this little horn having eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. And so it's just at this point when it seems like all evil has broken loose and and run roughshod over the whole world. It's just at that point, right? And, 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 you know, how often does a good story take us right to the brink of what appears to be despair, right? I think that's just because they're all copies at some level of the true story where it might look like evil prevails. But in the end, in the end, God is the victor. He is the triumph. He he brings the triumph. And so right when it does look like to all human appearances, all hope is lost, we keep on looking with Daniel. We keep looking. And Daniel describes what he saw. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion had been taken away, though their lives had been prolonged for a season and a time. So here's the thing. That judgment is not yet come. While it has not yet come, we live with the reality that if it doesn't come, the beast is going to win. And God's new creation will be destroyed. If there's no final judgment, if there's no final reckoning, we're in a bad situation. It'll be the end of God's saving work in us, if that should, was even possible. 
These are evil forces against which we are helpless. And again, we, we need to have that sense of helplessness precisely so we can fix our eyes in the only place where they belong. And then when we do that, our eyes are captivated by this picture of perfect stability and perfect calm. Because in the, in the middle of this vision of the raging sea, and I just love what God has given to Daniel and given to us. You know, you, you watch this raging sea, you watch the four beasts, and then all of a sudden your eyes are raised up higher. And we see a vision of perfect stability, perfect calm. Here's a place that can't be touched. The sea can mount as high as it wants. It can rage as long as it wants. But it can't touch this place where the Ancient of Days takes his seat. And so it's when we meditate, and I mean truly meditate. I mean, you, we can do it. We don't have to wait till Sunday morning to think about this. When we meditate on this scene, we find a constant, truly a constant source of peace and hope and joy as we live in a world full of tumult. But even now, the vision is not yet complete. We ought to know it's not complete. It's impossible. It's still important, then, that we keep on looking with Daniel and seeing what Daniel sees. So this morning, we come to the conclusion of this vision and this little three-part mini-series here in Daniel. Daniel says in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold. So the word behold is a link in your handout. And it carries us back. Before the scene with the Ancient of Days, this is three scenes. You have the scene of the sea and the beasts. You have the scene of the Ancient of Days. Now Daniel introduces a third Scene, But as he introduces it, we're carried back to the first scene. Because in the second scene, the word behold is never used. Daniel does not say, and behold, the ancient of days. We're carried to the earlier scene, where we see the sea, and the word behold is used six times. So I want to just read those to give us the, the flow. I saw in my vision by night, and behold... The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one. And behold, in this horn there were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. What a perversion of humanity. In the first part of Daniel's vision, that word behold is used every time to introduce a, a, a beast, a monster, right? Not even a, not even a good beast from God's creation, a mutant beast, not good, 
not ultimately of God's good creation. We saw a couple of weeks ago that the point of that seems to be the beastly, animal-like nature of these creatures as opposed to any true humanity. If I'm a human, I'm not an animal, right? I'm not a beast. I'm human. What does it mean to be human? This was all about, this is what VBS was all about this whole last week. In Genesis 1, it was man, not the animals, who was the image and the likeness of God. And he was given dominion, man was given dominion over the earth, and he was to rule over the beasts. Here in Daniel 7, what we see is this original creation order of man in the likeness of God, ruling over the world and over the beasts. We see it inverted. We see it perverted, turned on its head. Now we see beasts who are given dominion, it says. It uses the same word that it was used for man having dominion over the beasts. Now this beast is given dominion over the earth. And so what we see in Daniel, what Daniel is picturing for us in this beastly uh, language, and then, and then you see this beast with, with a horn, with having eyes like the eyes of a man. It's, it's just repulsive. It, it's, the, it's the perversion of what is good, of what God created. And so what we see in Daniel is Satan taking the image and likeness of God and twisting it into something less than human into something beastly. And so here's the reality, and this is a sobering and sad reality, but when men stop worshiping God, and when they stop exercising rule and dominion, in whatever sphere that they are, are, have rule, whether it's in the home, or at work, or, in, or over this creation, When we stop doing this according to his will and for his honor and for his glory, there's a sense in which we become no better than the beasts of the earth. You could could even say that we're worse than the beasts because it was man and not the beasts who were created in the beginning in the likeness and the image of God. The beasts are still doing what they're supposed to do, essentially. It is man who has abdicated. So in the book of Job, uh, Elihu says that God is the one who teaches us more than the beasts of the earth. And when we deny the teaching of God, what do we become? As the beasts. It is God who makes us wiser than the birds of the heavens. When we deny the wisdom of God, what do we become? When our hearts are lifted up in pride, as Nebuchadnezzar's was here in the book of Daniel, or when we come to envy the prosperity of the wicked, as the psalmist did for a time, it's we who become more brutish 
and more ignorant than the beasts. We see that pictured in Nebuchadnezzar's case, Daniel chapter 4. And this is a picture. Why do you think God made Nebuchadnezzar to be like a beast? He was just picturing the, the spiritual reality. He had become a beast already. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. The psalmist confesses in Psalm 73, I was brutish and ignorant, like I was like a beast toward you. Man, and this is not for us to say, yeah, all of them, Right? No, this is who we were, who we are, apart from the grace of God. Man, uh, in his rebellion against God, is in one sense worse than the beast, because in the end he becomes a tool of Satan who is seeking to devour God's new creation. Remember how that fourth beast, as we said, grew that little horn in which there were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking boastful, arrogant words against God. Now, I want to ask you this question now, because we're going to come to this, but are you beginning to see more of a picture of what it means to be human? To be a man, a woman, a child. What does it mean to be who we are? What should it mean? We We begin to see then how far we have fallen in Adam. And so the question is, and not just, a, not just a question because it's a good one to introduce what we're going to say next, a question because it's essential, it's, it's, it's compelled. How can man who has fallen lower than the beasts be recreated? How can we be recreated as the true image and likeness of God. How is that to happen? As people now who, here's, the, here's what we have to do. Exercise rule and dominion in every sphere of life. And that includes creativity. I mean, if you're working on a craft, if you're working on a project, if, if you work, whatever, whatever things we do as human beings, creating, ruling, leading, governing, all of these things, We are created to do these, never in a rebellion against God, but always in service to God. Always for his glory and his honor, because we are his image and likeness. When we see the beast killed, that's good news. Yay, right? The beast is killed. We don't want him running around. We want his body destroyed, given over to be burned with fire. We know that's because God is sovereign. He rules. He rides on his chariot throne. And he comes in judgment. But yet, where is the good news? Because, brothers and sisters, that's not good news by itself. We're all going to be caught up in the same destruction as those who have become as brutish as the beasts. If there's no new creation, if there's no, in your handout, new man, the beasts are destroyed. But if there's no new man, no new humanity, where does that leave us? 
The vision of Daniel, therefore, cannot be complete. And now we know that this next part of the vision is not random. It's, what, it's the only answer there is to the problem with which we've been confronted. Six times we heard the word behold, 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 a beast every time. And now we read in verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, and we expect as almost another beast. But this time, we read, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. We cannot understand the glory of and the wonder and the beauty of that verse if we've not understood the beasts and what those beasts have meant for us as those who can become more beastly than human. Here is one not like a lion with eagle's wings, not like a bear raised up on one side, not like a leopard with four wings of a bird and four heads. Here is no beast at all. Rather, we have one like a son of man. And so the question that we ought to have immediately is this, who is this one like a son of man? We might ask, uh, you know, remember... Who, who was the beast? Well, the beast represented something. It wasn't like, we don't just say the first beast is Babylon, so Babylon. No, the first beast represents something. The four beasts, the sea, the sea is not just a sea, it represents a reality, a true reality that's bigger. And so uh, now we come to one like a son of man. And so it's easy for us to say, oh, Jesus... I see Jesus there. And you would be right, and we are going to say that this morning. But we have to say at some level more than that. Not more isn't greater than that. But our answer is maybe not full enough. When we see one like a son of man, we ask, who is that? What does that represent? On the one hand, and, and what if you were Daniel... Or if you were someone living in Daniel's day, who would you have thought that one like a son of man represents? On the one hand, if we compare son of man with beasts, we see that this is a pretty exalted title. To be a son of man in your handout is to be human and not a beast, and therefore to be in some sense the image and likeness of God. And yet everywhere else in the Old Testament, the the surprising thing is that this title is used here because everywhere else in the Old Testament, the expression son of man is a reminder of weakness in your handout, of frailty, creatureliness. In some places, it's even a sign of our sinfulness. So Daniel, as it happens, Daniel and Ezekiel, are the only two people in the Bible ever addressed, directly addressed, son of man, the only ones. 
And both times uh, we read this in Daniel chapter 8. The angel Gabriel came near where I stood, and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, O son of man. Now, part of me is like, when he calls me son of man, what does he mean? Does he mean you're special? You're a son of man. You're not a beast. Or does he mean, O son of man? Yes, you're falling on your face, I understand, because you're flesh, because you're frail, because you're dust. Not, not being mean, just that's who you are. So I'm either this, or I, I, feel, I feel privileged, or I feel, oh yeah, I'm kind of nothing, in a sense. I'm dust, I'm, I'm weak, I'm frail. Son of man, the vision is for the time of the end. When he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. The only other one is Ezekiel. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, and when I saw it, I fell on my face. I heard the voice of one speaking, and he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet. So you see the context in both of those passages, this weakness, fear, falling on your face to the ground, son of man. So we read in other places. And I'm going to read these not for the sake of repetition, but for the sake of setting us up for what we're about to see. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? O Lord, what is man that you regard him or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies of the son of man? who is made like grass. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. God is not man, that he should lie, or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less... Man, who is a maggot, and the son of man, who is a worm. So it's all relative, isn't it? Compared with the beasts, the son of man is a pretty privileged, exalted title. I'd rather be called a man than a dog, right? It's a title that everywhere else, though, in the Bible, emphasizes that I'm also a creature, weak, and frail. It's in that light then that we feel a sense of mystery and wonder at these words. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Now, if Son of Man, everywhere else, everywhere else in the Old Testament, emphasizes weakness and frailty and creatureliness, then this image just almost jars us. It it seems out of place. Because when we have someone coming with the clouds of heaven, it's the complete opposite of frailty 
and weakness. And be careful that we don't be too simplistic with jumping ahead and saying, well, it's because it's Jesus. This is a mystery. It is Jesus. But it's us. We're going to see that. Daniel himself says that. There's the wonder in it. Clouds in the Bible are associated with manifestations of divine authority, power, and glory, right? The opposite of the Son of Man language we've seen. So remember, God descended on Mount Sinai in a thick cloud. Remember how he went before the Israelites in, in uh, a cloud, a pillar of cloud. When Ezekiel describes the vision he saw of God's glory, he, he says, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually. In Exodus, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In 1 Kings, the priests came out of the holy place. A cloud filled the house of the Lord so the priests could not stand and minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. In the Bible, clouds are, are part of the imagery that's associated with authority and power and glory. So we read in Isaiah and then the Psalms, Behold, the Lord is riding on a swift cloud. He makes the clouds his chariot. Now then we see the mystery and the wonder and for us who, who see fully living as, the, as we do in the new covenant, the glory of these words. I saw in the night visions and behold... With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Who is he? Who is this one like one of us who comes with the clouds of heaven? And I I think that Daniel says he was like a son of man because... For Daniel, this vision did not fit his categories of man. (laughs) But this is not to say that this one, like a son of man, is not a son of man. It's just that for Daniel, he had to say like a son of man because he's saying this is not like the son of man that's a maggot. Like that we all know, that returns to the dust. This was a... Son of man that's so different that I have to say like a son of man. We go on on then to read in verses 13 to 14. And he came to the ancient of days and it gets more and more amazing. And he was presented before him. And to him was given So notice, he is presented before the Ancient of Days. To him was given dominion, glory, a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. We see his true humanity in the fact that he was presented, the fact that he was given. And yet, and yet... How can it be that all people's nations and languages should serve 
him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Who is he? Now I want to ask you if you can see now. See, we might say Jesus. And we will say that. But first, but first. Could Daniel's people say that? Could they say Jesus? No. But what could they say? What could they say? What could they see? It's what we need to see if we're to understand Jesus. We need to see first what they saw, which so often we don't see. In this exalted figure, what we see is the goal of man's original creation. Of our own original creation being fulfilled. Yes, more than fulfilled. More than fulfilled. But see, this is what they understood. Man was created to rule and govern the earth as the image and likeness of God. That's what he was created to do. Through the fall, man fell into beastliness, into, into brutishness, into ignorance. He lost the wisdom of his true humanity. And now what we see in this vision is, is the, the original calling of man, his, his original creation purpose being realized in this vision. That's what they saw. They said, here it is. Here is a true human. As he was called to be even greater <laughs> than he was called to be in the beginning. That's what they didn't get. They didn't understand that part yet. But they could see this. And so here wrapped up, summed up, represented, symbolized, symbolized in this single exalted figure, we see the new creation. That's what we see, the new creation. We see a new humanity. This isn't just about, ultimately just about one. It's about a humanity. A new man, as it were, who is the very image and likeness of God, who rules for God. For God. Because he's presented to God. God gives him the ancient of days, gives him dominion. And he now exercises that dominion unto the glory of God. And he worships only God and serves him alone. And so here in this one like a son of man, what we see is who we were created to be. Not like the beasts, but the image bearer of God. Here in this image of one like a son of man, we see apparently even more than we were originally created to be. And yet we know that's not who we are. Do you see again how far we've fallen? That is not who we are. In ourselves, we're more like to the beasts in the first half of the vision than we are certainly to the one like the Son of Man who receives dominion Rather than reflecting back to God his own image. See, we were created to be mirrors, as it were. God would look at us and see his, his own image and likeness. Rather than reflecting that back to God each and every day in all that we say, in all that we do, in all that we think. In ourselves, we are only reflecting back to God 
a twisted perversion of what we were originally created to be. In ourselves, could we ever be presented before the Ancient of Days and not be consumed? Could we ever be given, could we ever receive from the Ancient of Days everlasting dominion, a kingdom to possess forever and ever? We're just maggots, worms, who have fallen, fallen so, so far as to be more like the beasts, even worse than the beasts. And so we ask again, who is this exalted figure? Is it just a sad reminder of what we lost? Of what now we can never attain to? Certainly not. Somehow, in some way, This is what Daniel's people and Daniel himself would have thought. This is all they could could think. Somehow, the goal of our creation as human beings, of who we were created to be, will be achieved by another. By this one, like a son of man, who we see in Daniel's vision coming with the clouds of heaven, being presented before the Ancient of Days and being given a kingdom that will last forever. Fast forward then 600 years after Daniel's vision. 600 years. And we know that during the days of Jesus' public ministry, he would would refer to himself like we do. I, me, my. So Matthew 11 says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. But after I, do you know, Jesus referred to himself more than in any other way as the Son of Man. 82 times in the Gospels. Maybe there's some repetition in there from the four Gospels. but For Jesus, that expression was just another way of saying I. So Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do people say that the Son of Man is now if he could have just as easily said who do people say that I am right who do people say that I am why then does he say who do people say that the son of man is what we have here is a window now we have a window into Jesus own self understanding who he knew himself to be and therefore a deeper a way to deepen our own understanding of who our Lord is So on the one hand, when Jesus spoke of himself as the Son of Man, what do you think he was talking about? Frailty? Weakness? Suffering? Death? One made like us. He was a real and a true Son of Adam. So we read verses like these. All all these are from Matthew. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, dead and buried. I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man 
will certainly suffer at their hands. See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. You know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. All of these references, we see the Son of Man in frailty, in weakness, even in suffering, in death. And then, on the other hand, Jesus spoke of himself at the same time as the Son of Man when he's thinking of exaltation and glory. So we read in verses like these, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Son of man? Jesus said to him, I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. That's the right hand of God and coming on the clouds of heaven. Son of man? Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. He keeps, he keeps saying I, instead of I, he keeps saying the Son of Man. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the, that's me, Jesus could have said, but just the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. So perhaps most important here now we see that this title, Son of Man. Who, Daniel was called Son of Man. Ezekiel was called Son of Man. But this is the Son of Man. We are all sons of men. But this is the Son of Man. And that title is bound up in Jesus' own self-understanding, not only with his suffering and his death, as one made like us, but also with his exaltation to sit enthroned in power and glory at God's right hand as one made like us. See, we can get the suffering like us, but don't forget, brothers and sisters, that he's going to come on the clouds of heaven as just the same as one like us. When he, when, he, when he ascends and sits down at the right hand of the power on high, when he sits at God's right hand, he sits there as one, like us, as the son of man. In the expression son of man, then, we have both the weakness and the power both the suffering and the glory of Jesus. And so it was this title, more than any other, that summed up for Jesus his whole life's work and mission as one made like us. It's in that light, then, that we read and make sense of the passages in John's Gospel that we've been looking at, and we'll come back to, we'll come back to John next week. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life I'm going to skip ahead now to John chapter 12 and we can go to that verse Jesus answered them the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified 
in John 13:31 Now is the son of man glorified In that simple title the son of man we have summed up both weakness and power suffering and glory death and life if that's the case then that title also sums up for Jesus his full identification in your handout with us. With us. So that he might raise us up. He did not partake of frail flesh and blood, son of man, maggot-like, that can die and go to the grave, just so he could identify with us in that place, but so that when he was raised, he could raise us up with him, So that even then he could identify himself with us and identify us with him in his glory. So that we might become, as it were, truly human. In other words, Jesus came as the Son of Man to fulfill our calling for us so that he might restore us fully to our true humanity. As those who perfectly reflect back to God his own image and likeness. That's what it means to be human. And so we see that what we that that we become truly and fully human again only in Christ. In Christ, we are in fact granted an even higher status an even greater glory than was originally promised to us in creation. Because now our humanity is is bound up in the God-man, Jesus Christ, who came for our redemption. Who is this one like a son of man who comes with the clouds of heaven? Can you see now for yourself? Do you see? Do you see... And really see. He is Jesus. But when we answer he is Jesus. We need to have the fullness of that answer. We need to see that in the context of Genesis 1. And, and, and all the Old Testament progression. Until we come to Jesus. And then our full and final destiny. As the new creation, the new man, the new humanity. And so in this exalted figure, we see the goal of our original creation fulfilled. We see a new humanity. We see in him, in your handout, all of us redeemed, recreated, as God's true image and likeness, and then called, therefore, with him, brothers and sisters, to be presented before God and to receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. So we read in verses 15 to 18. This, this is what they got. Right. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. 
So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Now, watch out. What's the interpretation of the Son of Man? Well, it's Jesus, the Messiah, the God-man. Is that what the angel says? Yes and no. He says what Daniel could, could, could handle. These four great beasts are four kings or kingdoms who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. And what did Daniel do when he heard that? Certainly, he must have fallen down in worship and praised and thanked the Lord. And all the time he was praising and thanking the Lord, he must have been filled with wonder and awe at how in the world God could accomplish such a thing. That the saints should receive, be presented before the Ancient of Days and receive a kingdom forever and ever and ever. How can that be? We know today, if we saw in the imagery of the beasts how far we fell in Adam, then what we see in this imagery of the one like a son of man who comes with the clouds of heaven is just how far God has raised us up again with Christ so that we might be human, so that we might reflect back to God and even to all the world around us, even today, whether it's in our homes, in our workplaces, wherever we are, his true image and likeness. That's the high privilege and calling that we have as human beings because we're his new creation. So we ought to always then, I said, we, we, we lift our eyes and we see this, our eyes are captivated by this picture of the ancient days, perfect stability and calm. The other thing we do is we lift our eyes and our eyes are captivated by this one like a son of man. We now know him to be Jesus in whom we are. And so as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the son of man, and as we abide in him, which is where we're coming next week in John 15, remembering always that apart from him, we can do nothing. We cannot be human, truly. We cannot reflect to God his image. Apart from this Jesus, the Son of Man. And yet, through him, we can. We can do all things. So, I'll close with these words from the Apostle Paul. And this isn't just like, oh yeah, we're done, now let me just tack this on the end. This is, this is perhaps most important. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, like the beasts, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance, like the beasts, that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, worse than the beasts. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old man 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new man, the new humanity, the new creation created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. May it, may it have its transforming effect in us. We pray, O oh Lord, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would never be just a formula that we all know. But the power of God unto salvation that is constantly at work in us. Just pray, Lord, that you would help us when confronted with the beauty and the power of this gospel that truly no vice or sin would remain that resists your holy rule in us. Thank you, Lord, that in Christ we can put off the old man. We can cease to be as the beasts. And we can put on a new man, the new man that has been provided for us in the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. So let us put on that new man today and each day. And uh, we pray for your, your working now in us even as we respond in song, in prayer, in receiving from you this, this wonderful privilege of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.